Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. Seems like an odd place to go for Advent, huh? That's where we're going to be beginning in verse 7. And we're going to read from verse 7 forward and just think through this passage and how it has to do with Advent, how it has to do with Christ, how it has to do with our lives. And so we're going to look at Genesis chapter 3. Are you there? Amen? Now listen, I'm encouraging you. Open your own Bible, okay? Grab that Bible in the pew rack in front of you. Open it. Use it because we're going to be in it a lot, okay? So don't just uh, uh, depend on the one on the screen, we want you to have your Bible there. This is what it says. We, well, before I go, uh, I just want to remind you of what the story is that we're diving into. We're Adam and Eve. And, and I want you to remember in the end of chapter 2, the end of chapter 2 in verse 25, it says that Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were naked and unashamed. Naked and unashamed. This is the way that God created Adam and Eve to be. Naked and unashamed. In other words, they had nothing to hide from God. Can you just imagine that for a moment? That you could be uh, before the living God whose eyes are a flame of fire, who sees everything, that you would stand in front of Him and have nothing to be ashamed of. Well, that's the way that God created us. Put Adam and Eve in the garden. They were created that way. God gave them one rule, don't eat of the tree of life. Now, I want you to understand, that's the rule that we focus on. That we, They say we can't eat from the tree of life. But in God's Word, they were not restricted from any of the other trees in the garden. Which meant that in the garden, they had access to the tree of life. The, did I just say they couldn't eat from the tree of life? I think I did. Um, they were given access to every tree in the garden, including the tree of life. But God told them, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They had access to the tree of life, yet chose to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Satan came into the picture and he tempted them. Did God really say? Now, I just want to remind you, church family, that Satan's scheme back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, is the same scheme that he's going to use today. The first thing that he's going to get you to do is to doubt God's word. And so... Church family, don't ever doubt in the dark what God revealed in the light. Don't doubt God's word. He said, did God really say? Well, surely he didn't mean it. Now, let's just be honest. It's exactly what Satan's doing in our culture today, isn't he? Well, I know God said it, but surely he didn't mean it, did he? And then Eve and Adam looked at the tree and saw that the the fruit was a delight to the eyes. It was good for food. And it was desirable to make one wise, and she took of it and she ate of it. In verse 7, we pick up. We pick up, it says this, The eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. 
They made themselves loincloths. Now, here's what I want you to understand. They were naked and unashamed the moment that they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Their eyes were opened in that moment. They knew that they had sinned, and now they were no longer naked and, uh, uh, and, naked and unashamed, but now they were naked and full, full of shame. And this is what I want you to understand that sin does in your life and in my life. When we sin against the Lord, we are naked now and we are filled with shame. And what did they do? They took fig leaves, they sewed them together, and they made loincloths for themselves. And that is what mankind has been doing ever since the fall. Now, we obviously aren't sewing fig leaves together. We have a no fig leaf policy out front in the church can't wear fig leaves to church, but we metaphorically do it every day. Here's what I mean. We sew fig leaves together, metaphorically speaking, to cover up our nakedness, to cover our sin, to cover our shame, because I don't want you to look at me and see that I'm a sinner, even though you know that I'm a sinner. I got to put on a front before the Lord. I need to cover myself up with fig leaves so that God doesn't see my nakedness and my shame, even though he knows I'm a sinner and I'm filled with shame. And so what do I do? Well, I go to church every time the doors are open, or I try to be a good person. I read my Bible every day. I pray occasionally. I try to do good for other people with hopes that my good deeds will cover up my sinful deeds. Are you with me, church? They're covering their nakedness and their shame with fig leaves, and we have been doing that ever since the fall. Our fig leaves just look slightly different, don't they? We've been doing that, and it continues in verse 8, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Can you just imagine that this is what they were created to do. They, they knew the sound of God walking in the garden. And they had, for all of the days prior to this day, they had looked forward to hearing the sound of God walking in the garden, calling out, Father, come be with us. We can't wait to spend time in your presence. And now on this day, things changed. They ate of the fruit. Their eyes were open. They were filled with shame. And it says... They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the, cool of the, uh, in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Now, you might have heard me say that's the saddest verse in all of the Bible. The saddest verse in all of the Bible is where God created Adam and Eve to know God, to walk with Him, to love Him, to worship Him, to adore Him, to simply fellowship with Him like the Trinity fellowships together, to know Him intimately. And yet, this is the first day where when hearing the sound of the Lord in the garden, they didn't run to the Lord, but rather they ran from the Lord. Saddest verse in the Bible. And do you know, we've been doing that ever since the fall. Mankind has been running from God. When we sin, our sin does not push us into the arms of Christ. Rather, it pushes us away from Him. And we've been running from the very one that we need most desperately. And this is what we see. Verse 9 continues, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, question and answer. Is God confused? No. Does God actually know where they are? Yes. All right, this is a lot like uh, my daughter Ella playing hide-and-seek with me uh, when she was one or two years old. Dad, 
come find me. Dad, right? Do, Ella, where are you? Is she in the closet? Oh, no, she's not in the closet. I wonder where she could be. Does dad know where she is? Yes. Yes. You can't hide from the omniscient, all-seeing God. You can't hide from the one who knows everything. And they were trying to hide from him. And, and how silly is it that we as humans, when we sin, would try to hide from the one who knows everything? We hide from him. Where are you? Well, so what's God doing? God's giving them an opportunity, an opportunity to repent, an opportunity to come out with it. God, we, 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 we know what you said. We, we saw the tree. It looked good. And so we ate it. We're so sorry. They, God was giving them an opportunity for them to fulfill the words, maybe of 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, that says, If we sin, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God was giving them an opportunity to come to Him. Rather, they hid from Him. God calls out to them, giving them an opportunity again. But they didn't take that opportunity. This is what it says, verse 10. And He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. For the first time in history, the people of God, His very creation, are not... uh, wanting to come to him, but now they're afraid of his presence. They're afraid of his presence. And we see some of the the consequences of the fall. We see shame and condemnation in verse 7 where they knew they were naked and they were filled with shame and they sowed fig leaves. They were shame and condemnation. They were just trying to cover up their shame, trying to deal with their condemnation. And guess what? Their fig leaves couldn't do it. And now, sin had separated them from God. This relationship that was supposed to be intimate, now where they were separated from Him. It continues. Verse 11, He he said, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? Verse 12, The man said, The woman, right? It's always the woman's fault in the story. The woman But listen to what he does. He turns the table a little bit. The woman that what? Really, God, it's your fault. The woman that you gave me, God, she made me do it. It wasn't the devil that made me do it, but it was the woman that made me do it. And you gave her to me. So really, I'm clean and clear here. And she says... Verse 13, the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and the dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now I want to stop here for just a second. And I just want to to say, on this dark, dark day of sin and shame and condemnation and separation, on this dark day that has set the course of all history, on this dark day, there was a glimmer of hope. A glimmer of hope. Now, theologians will call this the Proto-Evangelion, or the first gospel. This is the first time where the gospel is ever declared. And here's what it says in verse 15. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, 
between your offspring, Satan, and her offspring. He, the woman's offspring, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Another version says it this way, You will bruise his heel, Satan, but he will crush your head. It's the first time that the Gospels ever shared that there is a coming day where one of Eve's children will crush the head of the serpent. And then it continues on, verse 16. To the woman, he said, I'll surely multiply your pain and childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Verse 17. And to Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There was a consequence of death. Death. Man and woman intended maybe to live forever with God now would have an end of their life. Verse 20, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Here's what I want you to hear. Here's what I want you to hear, church family. All of us have sinned against God. All of us have tried, like Adam and Eve, to sew fig leaves together to cover up our sin and our shame and our condemnation. All of us have hidden from God, running from His presence, being afraid of His presence rather than running to Him. All of us have consequences from our sin, and our consequences for our sin is too great for us to handle, and there is no solution of my own strength. We can't fix the problems that our sin causes. It's impossible for you and for me to work our way out of the problem that Adam and Eve have caused for you and me, that we have continued to walk in their way. And we can't do a single thing to work our way into heaven because as many good things as I do, I cannot go back and undo what I did in the first place. It's a, imagine it like a chalkboard. You take a chalkboard. There are two ways to try to cover something up. Number one is I can continue writing all of the good deeds of my life over the sin that is originally on the chalkboard. And it doesn't matter how many good deeds I write on top of my sin, the sin is still underneath. But one can come who can take my sin and erase it and wipe it clean. So what I want you to see today is in the midst of the consequences, we find a promise. In the midst of the great darkness, we find a sliver of light. In the shadow of overwhelming uh, heaviness, we find hope. A child, verse 15, a child who would be born to Eve, who would crush the head of the serpent, who would come and fight the serpent, who would defeat our enemy and reverse the power of sin. 
And so today, I want to look at three pictures that Genesis chapter 3 gives us. Three pictures to help us understand why we need a Messiah and how the promise points forward to Jesus the Christ. So we're going to look at three pictures. We're going to look at the curse, we're going to look at the sacrifice, and we're going to look at the bridge. The curse, the sacrifice, and the bridge. All right, wake up everybody, say that with me. The curse, the sacrifice, and the bridge. One more time. The curse, the sacrifice, and the bridge. So let's look at the curse. If you've got your Bible, turn back to verse 14. So Adam and Eve sinned. Adam blamed it on Eve and on God. Eve blamed it on the serpent. God turns to the serpent in verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you. Curse. Instead of blessings, curse. Cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. There is a curse that God gave to the serpent there. It's a threefold curse. Not only does he curse the serpent, but he continues on to Eve. He continues to Eve in verse 16, to the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. Now, I've never had a baby, but I was in the room two times when a baby was born. I'm taking from context clues that it hurts. Women, amen? All right. Sometimes you'll hear your pastor say you either need to say amen or ouch, and I think on that one you just say ouch, right? So there's the, this curse, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. There's a curse upon Eve. Having babies is going to hurt. In pain you shall bring forth children. And the second part of that curse is your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. God initiates headship in the home. And, and talks about how there's going to be this struggle inside the home. I want you to just note, married couples, Satan didn't come on the scene until marriage. So if you go, marriage is tough, uh-huh. Satan's going to step up your game, or his game, in relationships, especially marriage. There was a curse on the serpent. You're going to crawl around on your belly, dust you shall eat. You will be constantly at war with the woman and her offspring, but one day, one of her offspring will defeat you. Eve, the curse upon Eve, having babies is going to hurt, and you and your husband are constantly going to be fighting and fussing in the home for who's in charge here. Now, in my home, I'm the head of the family. My wife is just the neck that turns it, Okay. I wear whatever pants she allows me to put on, all right? All right. The curse of the serpent, the curse of Eve, and the curse of Adam. He looks at Adam and he says to Adam, verse 17, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and you have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. There is a threefold curse to the serpent. You're going to eat dust, you're going to crawl on your belly, and you'll be constantly at war with the offspring of the woman. And one day there's an offspring that's going to defeat you. To the woman, having babies is going to hurt. 
pain or childbearing through pain. And to Adam, you're going to plant and you're going to work the ground, but the ground's cursed. And now instead of producing fruit for you, the ground will grow thorns and thistles. Thorns and thistles. The second thing I want you to see, the second picture I want you to see is a sacrifice. The sacrifice. We know the Bible teaches us that the wages of sin is death. God pronounced upon Adam that though they might have lived forever, out of the ground he was made, and back to the dust he shall return. And then he says in verse 20 and 21, it says, The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. Verse 21, And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Now just note that something had to die in order for clothes to be made out of animal skins. Death. Came. There was a sacrifice, and this sacrifice was in the place of Adam and Eve. They sinned, and animal died, so that their sin, shame, and condemnation could be covered. And then there's a bridge. A bridge. They were separated from God. It says in verse 22, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden. Verse 24, He drove out the man and at the east of the garden and he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. There is a curse there is a sacrifice and there is a need for a bridge. And here's what I want you to understand today. All the rest of the Old Testament, the rest of the Bible is a story about how the curse of sin is real and inescapable. How the separation between God and man grows wider. How religion, how being a good person, going to church doing good things, how religion can't bring people to God. The Old Testament reveals to us over and over that sacrifices cannot forgive their sins, that the law cannot fix their heart. How even their hope in prophets, that prophets would come and prophesy and die. And the Old Testament ends with 400 years of silence. Can you just imagine the heaviness and the weight that the curse of sin has brought upon the people of God? But in the midst of the darkness, we find that glimmer of light, that sliver of hope, a promise of hope. God promises to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we find in these three pictures a promise. God is foreshadowing in these three pictures the very one who would come and reverse the effects of the fall. He would be the anti-venom for the serpent's bite. And his name is Jesus. And even here, in the curse, in the sacrifice, and in the bridge, we see a foreshadowing, a glimmer of hope, a promised Messiah. Here's what I want you to understand. You say, wow, we've, we've covered some ground. I'm not understanding how this yet makes sense. Well, Jesus was the promised Messiah who came to restore what sin had broken. How did Jesus do that? And how do we see it in Genesis chapter 3? Number one is that Jesus became the curse. The serpent, Eve, and Adam were all cursed because of sin. 
and Jesus became the curse for us. Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 says it this way, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. How in the world would Jesus fulfill the curse and become the curse for us? I want you to think about it this way. When Jesus was on the cross, Satan bit or, or struck at the heel of the Son of God on the cross. And there on the cross, Satan had thought he was winning the victory by putting Jesus, the Son of God, to death. Satan thought he was winning. Satan thought that, that, that ultimately sin had won and darkness had overcome light. But that is not true because it was in the very death of the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, that very death that, that sin had caused, that Satan had brought about, through that very death, Jesus won the ultimate victory for those who would put their trust in Him. It was through the cross that the curse was broken. It's through the cross that Satan is defeated. Colossians says it this way, it's not on our, our screen, but Colossians says that he canceled the record of debt that stood against us with all its legal demands and he disarmed. I don't want to misquote it. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And it was through the very cross brought about by a sin that Jesus redeemed us from the curse. He became the curse for us. The curse of Eve was the curse of Eve was that childbearing would be painful. Well, how is it that Jesus came into the world? The Son of God came into the world through the curse of Eve. We sing a song, silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Now, that's not very theologically sound because having babies hurts. You know Eve was not silent and calm. In bearing children, she brought forth the Son of God, Emmanuel, into the world through the curse of childbearing. Jesus came into the world through a virgin who would conceive and give birth to a son. Through the very curse of Eve, Jesus entered the world. And then there's the curse of Adam. Remember God, the Lord God looks at Adam and he says, Now the ground will be cursed because of your sin. And instead of producing fruit, it will bear what? Thorns and thistles. What was it that Jesus wore on the cross as he died? A crown of thorns and thistles. It was our Savior's glory to wear our curse upon His head. Jesus became the curse for us. So that we might be set free from the power of the curse. Galatians again says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. In the first picture, Jesus became the curse. Then we see Jesus became the sacrifice. 
See, in the passage, in verse 21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. They were naked and filled with shame and under condemnation, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they couldn't cover their sin and their shame and their condemnation. And so God lovingly, kindly, mercifully, graciously stepped in to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, and that was to cover their sin and their shame and their nakedness. He did that at the cost of life. As far as we know, this is the first death that has ever occurred in the world. And it's at the hand of God. God killed a spotless, perfect animal to cover the sin, shame, and condemnation of sinners. Does that sound familiar? Well, in John chapter 1, verse 29... We have this on the screen. Jesus is seen by John the Baptist. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12 says that Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood, not by the means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. The scripture reveals that Jesus on the cross became our sin so that in him, in his death and in his life, his resurrection, we might become the righteousness of God. That that God sacrificed his only son. That death occurred at the hands of Almighty God so that those who were covered with sin and shame and condemnation might be covered in the rags of righteousness. Robes of righteousness. Revelation reveals it this way in chapter 7. It's not on the screen for us, but as I remember chapter 7, John is beholding a vision of heaven with multitudes surrounding the throne. And the angel revealing this to John says to John, Who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? John says, Oh Lord, you know. You know. And the angel reveals to John the answer. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and they have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, worshiping day and night in His temple. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21 is the great exchange of the gospel that God made Him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. That Jesus took what we deserved so that we, through trusting in Him, might receive what He deserved. That He took the consequences of the fall to give us the reward of His righteousness. That is the great exchange of the gospel. He became the curse. He became the sacrifice that would cover our sin. And Jesus became the bridge. Exodus Well, before I get to Exodus, I want to just remind you of of what we see in the passage. Verse 23, God sent him out of the garden. Verse 24, he drove out the man that was at the east of the garden. And and he placed the cherubim with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard to the way of tree of life. Guard the way to the tree of life. He put the cherubim there to guard the way back to the tree. 
In other words, there was a separation caused by sin, and there was an angel, a warring angel, set in front of the tree to guard the way so that Adam and Eve could not return into the presence of God and eat of the tree of life. God separated them. Isaiah chapter 59 says that our sins have separated us from God. So I want to think about this idea of a cherubim in the temple that was made, the tabernacle specifically, in the tabernacle that was made in the wilderness in Exodus, there are instructions given. And God gives these divine heavenly instructions to Moses and to Aaron to build a tabernacle in the wilderness so that they might worship the Lord in the wilderness. This tabernacle went with them wherever they went. And one of the uh, things that God told them to do in Exodus chapter 26 verse 31 was you shall make a veil of blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twine linens. It shall be made with cherubim skillfully worked into it. Now here's what I want you to understand. In the the tabernacle and in the temple, there were places that the common man could go and the common man couldn't go. There were places that the priest could go and the, the priest couldn't go. And there was a place that only the high priest could go and only once a year. There was the, the, the court that that all of them could enter into. There was the holy place that only priests could enter into. And then there was the most holy place that only the high priest could enter in once a year. And it was such a holy place that they would tie a, a rope around the waist of the priest, put bells around his feet, so that just in case the holiness of God killed the sinfulness of man inside the temple, they could drag out the body. He could only go in once a year. And guess what was separating the common people from the most holy place? A veil. 42 feet tall. And what was embroidered around the edge of it? Cherubim. Every time they went to the temple to worship and they looked upon the veil in the temple... Every time they went, even the priests were reminded that I can't come into the presence of God because of my sin. That my sin is separated from me, me from him. But guess what happened? Matthew chapter 27, verse 50 and 51, it says this, and I believe it's on the screen. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. When Jesus yielded up his spirit, breathed his last breath, the curtain of the temple was torn in two. I think the King James Version says torn asunder. But guess what? It wasn't from bottom to top. It was from top to bottom. It was a reminder that there on the cross that Jesus became the bridge for humanity to come into the very presence of God. It was a reminder that what mankind couldn't accomplish, God did through the death of His Son. The death of the Messiah who would come. The death of the one who would bring hope. The death of the one who was promised as far back as Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. That through the promised Messiah, God would do what we couldn't do. He tore the temple, the cherubim around the veil were torn in two from top to bottom so that mankind could have entrance into the holy place. Hebrews chapter 6 
Verse 19 says it like this. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the holy or the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Jesus has gone into the inner place on our behalf as a forerunner. He went before us paving a way, building a bridge so that we might get to God. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says it this way, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. All of the consequences of sin in the fall of mankind in Genesis chapter 3, Jesus became and reversed for us. So what? Ryan, it seems like a really weird Advent message. Are you, are you trying to cover your sin and shame and condemnation with good works? Stop. Trust Jesus. What Jesus has done, we can never accomplish in a million lifetimes. Trust in the all-sufficient sacrifice of Jesus, who not only became the curse, but He came, became the sacrifice. That He covered for us what our sin brought upon, upon us. Trust Him. Rest in Him. There is a glimmer of hope in the darkness, uh, the dark shadow of our sin, and that is that Jesus has died once and for all to put away sin forever. Do you feel separated from God? You no longer have to hide from Him. You don't have to be afraid of God. Why? Because in Jesus, God has an incredible plan for you to come to Him, to be healed by Him. To be restored through Him. So come. What do I got to do, Ryan? I think the first and most freeing thing is admitting that what you do cannot save you. That you are your own worst enemy. That no one has failed me as much as me. No one's let me down more than I have. And I can't solve my sin's problems. But I can trust that Jesus can. Believe that Jesus is the promised Savior that you need. Trust Him. Live in such a way that says, I trust Him. Now here's the thing, most of us say, well the gospel is for baby Christians and I just want to grow past the gospel into deeper things and that is just kind of foolishness according to the Bible. That we don't outgrow the gospel but we grow deeper in it. One, one gentleman, one pastor has said the gospel is not just the diving board that you dive into the deeper things of the gospel or of God but rather the gospel is the diving board not, the gospel is also the pool that you dive into and the deeper that you dive into the pool of the gospel the more you find that it goes. 
the deeper it plunges. You can never plunge the depths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Stop trying to outgrow the gospel and run back to the gospel every day. Church family, if you, if you say, well, what, how do I need to grow? Get into the gospel. Find out how the gospel changes everything. Everything. You know, every, every spiritual problem I have has, it, has its root in the fact that I don't understand truly what Jesus did for me. Trust God. That his way to save us and to forgive our sins was to send Jesus to do what we couldn't. Trust him. And if you don't have any hope, if you don't have any joy, if you don't have any peace in this season of our life, run to Jesus. Now I'd be remiss as we close to say this. We had a conversation in our Sunday school class about how people in this world seem hopeless, seem in despair, seem without joy seem without life. There's never been a better time for the church, the true church of God, to stand up and become ambassadors, not just to live it outwardly, but to proclaim it boldly, to declare the gospel in hopeless situations. Church family, we've got to share the gospel. Who are you telling? Who are you inviting at our Welcome Center, we have a, uh, a number of cards that say, um, uh, you're invited. And we'd love for you to grab one of those cards. Don't grab a stack of them. Other people might want one. We'll have some more next weekend, but grab a card. Grab two. And as you're going this week, tell somebody what Jesus has done for them and invite them to come to church with you promise you, if they come, Jesus just might change their life. Would you pray with me? Father God, I come to you this morning and I, I thank you that the gospel changes everything. The sin caused so many consequences that I can't fix, but Jesus became the curse, Jesus became the sacrifice, and Jesus came, became the bridge that we might get to God. Thank you that Jesus paid it all. Thank you that Jesus did everything necessary for salvation. Thank you for the first gospel in, in Genesis chapter 3 that is a foreshadow of the gospel to come. Thank you that the, the, the offspring of Eve who would crush the head of Satan has come and his name is Jesus. Thank you that the, the serpent of old is like a, a great snake whose head has been taken off, yet he is still slithering around wounding people. But his power is gone for the believer. Father, I just pray that we would come to you in this season and we would trust in the gospel. That we would dive deep into the gospel. That we would be reminded of the gospel. That we would um, meditate on the work of the gospel. That we might become more like Jesus. Father, help us to share it. I pray these things in your name. Amen.